Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion of Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program, Messianic Teachings for Christians. This is a series of teachings for helping to affirm our faith and instruction that we received as Messianic believers, but also to introduce some of the differences and potentially encourage and edify our Christian friends about what some of the teachings are, what certainly what the differences are to understand. In the last two episodes, we've been talking about eschatology. We've been talking about God's prophecies and how do Messianics view the prophecies, particularly of the second coming, and so we can understand them better. I'm not going to necessarily review all that I've covered there, but I am in the midst of sharing with you about the prophecies of the Messiah when he came the first time and how those prophecies were viewed by the disciples who came to believe in the Messiah. I want to share with you that the way you can see the prophecies, the way they were given, the way they were fulfilled, the way the disciples came to understand those prophecies, that was the way they came to understand how the Messiah would come the first time, do the work of redemption, and do all the things the Messiah was supposed to do. Well, we're in the same kind of situation in that we've seen all that in the past. We have our Bibles, we have the Gospel accounts, we all believe that the Messiah did come, he did fulfill the prophecies, but a lot of times many of us don't really know what prophecies did he actually fulfill. We believe he's the Messiah, but we're not quite sure how those prophecies worked to tell the disciples then that he was the Messiah. And I'm suggesting to you there are clues given in there that will help us in the day we are to understand the prophecies about the second coming to understand and interpret correctly what the Messiah is getting ready to do. So last week as we concluded, I brought you up to the point of that John the Baptist was actually sent by God and he was part of the prophecy that was about the coming of the Messiah. In fact, he's the voice that was used by God to introduce and announce the Messiah to Israel. And in particular, in John chapter 1, we have John giving us his gospel, and he's trying to lay out the proof texts. He's trying to give you the testimonies to convince you that Yeshua of Nazareth is, in fact, the Messiah, and that he came and did the work of redemption. He's recounting prophecies, showing the things that Yeshua did that fulfilled them, and he's trying to build his case so you'll trust and believe the Messiah, that he came. Well, most of us are in the position where we already believe that. Whether or not we understood the proofs that were given in the Scripture or not, most of us just ignore them, and we just jump to the conclusion and say, yeah, we believe that Yeshua was the Messiah and He came. You know, why, why do you believe that? Well, everybody says that. In my case, my grandmother said that Jesus was the Messiah, and so I believe in my grandmother. She loves me. She would never lie to me. I believe Jesus is the Christ. I believe He's the Messiah. And then I had all my Christian friends, you know, they said, hey, you know, we all believe that Jesus is the Christ. You know, and that, amen, I want to join with you guys. I like hanging out with you. I want to be a member of the church. All I have to do is repeat those words. I believe you. And I've presumed it to be so. I would remind everybody that hearsay, what your grandmother may have told you, and presumption, what you had decided to agree to do with your other church brethren, Neither one of those are faith. Neither one of those are faith in God. 
And by the way, to make it to the kingdom, you have to have faith in God. You have to have faith that Yeshua really is the Messiah. And if you don't have the evidence to substantiate that, to call that the truth, you cannot call that the truth without the evidence of two or three. The Bible clearly teaches that. You must have the confirming evidence for your faith to be true. And that's what we want, true faith. John, in his gospel, is writing the book to convince us and supply us with the evidences so that when we say that we believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah, was sent by God, and so forth, here's the proofs. Here's what God said through Moses and the prophets, what the expectations were from those prophecies. Here's what the Messiah actually did. We can recount back to what the prophecy said. Hey, he fulfilled the prophecy. He was exactly as we were foretold. Therefore, on the authority of the word of God, we can believe that he is. Therefore, our faith is well-grounded. It's grounded in the word of God. That was the purpose he wrote the book. Now we're in the midst of that, and one of the things I shared with you is John begins by giving us the evidence of something that's in Genesis 1-1, which will show up in Revelation 1-1, when Yeshua comes up and he says, I'm the Aleph and the Tav. You probably heard it, the Alpha and the Omega, but it was actually Aleph and Tav, he said. That was the word that John was referring to in John 1-1. But he also said there was this other man that would be sent by God that would be the forerunner, John the Baptist. And if you recount the story of John the Baptist, it's given to us in John chapter 1. This is about this fellow. He was a Levite priest. His father was a Levite priest. He was a cousin of Yeshua. And he came of age and he took Elijah's leather belt that had been kept at the temple in the sanctuary and he put it on and he got camel hair vest and he went out into the wilderness and he's eating locusts and honey and he's preaching repentance to God. Kind of wild man, you know, out there at the River Jordan. You know where he was out there baptizing? You know where he's at? He was baptizing people at the River Jordan where the children of Israel crossed the Jordan to come into the land. You know, where Joshua and, and they all came into land. He's out at that part of the Jordan River. And he's preaching to the people to repent. And Yeshua comes walking up. And all of a sudden, John announces when he sees Yeshua, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Some very interesting things begin to take place. First of all, how did John know that was going to be it? Well, John gives us a little bit of a clue in that God had told him, the man that you see that a dove lands upon him, that will be the one. And so Yeshua come walking up, a dove landed on him. John saw that and said, oh, that's what the Lord told me. Therefore, he's the one. So he announced him, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, John was actually fulfilling a prophecy. And the prophecy comes from Isaiah 40 and verse 1. I want to read that prophecy to you again so you understand exactly how Isaiah had said it and how John fulfilled it. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. 
Speak kindly to Jerusalem, call out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain be made low, and let the rough ground become plain and the rugged train a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So here's the plan. Here's what Isaiah has said. There's going to come a moment when there's going to be a voice in the wilderness, and it's going to cry out, and it's going to say, Get ready. Get ready for the coming of the Messiah, and you're all going to see it. In your flesh, you're going to see the glory of the Lord come to you. You're going to see the Messiah come. So here's John the Baptist out in the wilderness, a voice crying in the wilderness. So they ask him, what are you doing out here? He says, I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. See, there's that prophecy, and I'm fulfilling it. So here comes Yeshua, and he announces him. Now, it's what's really interesting, and I have two things I need to share with you. One, I want to take you back to Isaiah 40 because there's some other prophecies it says right after that one. Would you like to know what the prophecies are right after the one about John the Baptist? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, it goes on to say this. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, that's a wonderful set of words, very melodic, uh, very picturesque. Grass and flowers. But let's go back to the thing. Call out. What shall I call out? What am I supposed to be saying? What is it that I'm supposed to be saying here? The grass withers, the flower, but the word of our God stands forever. Is that what I'm supposed to be calling out? I'm supposed to be calling out that the word of God stands forever. That the word of God, there's eternity. Well, let's go back to what John said. Remember, he introduced the Messiah as the word. Remember, the word. Okay, and here's a prophecy that is going beyond John the Baptist. He says, we're going to be calling out. We're going to be saying something. We're going to be announcing that the word is forever. Did you know that in 1 Peter 1.24, Peter, the apostle, he quotes this prophecy. He says, do you understand what we have been preaching to you about Yeshua came and that he died for you, that he went in the grave, and they came out of the grave, and he's alive forever. He has the gift of eternal life. Do you understand that, what we've been saying to you? He said, that's what those words mean. Peter quoted that prophecy and said, that's what we're preaching to you. Wow. That prophecy, verses 6 through 8, is about when Yeshua came and what the apostles said about him. The first one is about what John the Baptist said about him. This one is talking about what the apostles said about the Messiah. We're still talking about the Messiah. Now, it doesn't stop there. 
You want to hear what else the prophet Isaiah has to say? Verse 9, he says, Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. By the way, good news means gospel. Bearer of the gospel. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Any question about that's talking about the second coming? At the second coming, the Messiah is going to be returning. His reward is with him and his recompense and his judgments precede it. There's the prophecy of the second coming. It says there are going to be some people talking about the Messiah just before the Messiah comes again the second time, and they're going to be telling everybody the good news, the gospel, and they're going to be telling everybody, get ready, behold, here's your God. So this prophecy is about the second coming. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through verse 10 explains the one that was sent before the Messiah came, what the disciples said about the Messiah, and what the disciples are going to say about the Messiah just before he comes back again. Isn't that fascinating? That whole thing was all about the Messiah. Now, how many times have you, in believing in the Messiah, studying the Messiah, ever took Isaiah 40 verse 1 and said, you know, that whole chapter is all about the Messiah. It's all about things that are going to happen with the Messiah. No. It, for most people, it's just a bunch of Old Testament scriptures, and every once in a while I like one of the verses, and I'll tell you what, let's put that on a plaque and we'll sell it at a Christian bookstore. That's about as meaningful as some of these words are to people. If you can't see the picture of Isaiah chapter 40 and what it's trying to describe about the Messiah, about John the Baptist coming the first time, about what the apostles did, about what we're supposed to be doing here at the end of the age. How are you supposed to understand all the other prophecies of it coming? You don't even understand how it came the first time. That would be tragic. That would be a huge mistake. The difference between messianic teaching about the Messiah and eschatology versus that we have from the church is we actually go back and look at the prophecies. We actually want you to understand the prophecies that prove who the Messiah is so you'll see God's plan that he's going to do. Because he has planned it, and he's definitely going to be doing it. Now, that is on the chapter 40 thing, but let me take you back to, let me take you back to John chapter 1. Let's go back to John the Baptist, because we've got some great things that we need to look at there. In John chapter 1 and beginning at verse 35, this is the second day. Yeshua showed up the day before. John says, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And Yeshua comes back again the second day. And John records the following course. By the way, John at this time was a disciple of John the Baptist. He's out there in the wilderness. He's listening with some other brethren. They are following John the Baptist. They're listening to what he has to say. They're trying to understand the coming of the Messiah. Here's what it records with us. This is verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked, and as Yeshua, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God. 
And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Yeshua. Now, what's going to be interesting at this point is that we're going to be introduced to five men. We're going to be introduced to five men who are going to start following Yeshua. The first of which is John, who wrote this account. He's going to start following him because he's the one reading the account. He's going to introduce us to a man named Andrew. And he's going to go off to his brother, Simon Peter, and he's going to tell him about Yeshua they just met. And we're going to be introduced to a guy named Philip, and he's going to run off and tell his friend, Nathaniel. So we're going to have five total men that are going to be approaching the Messiah. Let me read to you what John says and records this. John 1, verse 38, And Yeshua turned and saw them following, and he said, What do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Now, John the Baptist has announced, behold, the Lamb of God. He's walking away. They're trying to follow him. And he turns to him and says, what are you looking for? So they ask, where are you staying? We'd like to go along wherever you're going. He said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour, meaning it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And might will settle down for the day. And they get a chance to spend some time with Yeshua. Now we don't really understand a lot of what was said at that point, but we do have this. We have some men initially who are interested in following Yeshua after he's been announced as being the Lamb of God. And verse 40, one of the two men who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon, and he said to them this, we have found the Messiah. Wow, that's interesting. He's going up and he's telling his brother, you know, Simon Peter, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Yeshua, and Yeshua looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter, which means rock. You know, I'm going to call you rock. The next day, verse 43, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Yeshua said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, which is the city of Andrew and Peter. They were fishermen way up north in Israel. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now this little ragtag group of men, Israelites, they think they've found the Messiah. They're actually telling other people, we, hey, we found the Messiah. Philip goes off to his friend Nathanael and says, Hey, we found him spoken of by Moses and the prophets. You know, Moses and the prophets are the ones that told us about the Messiah to come. And when he hears that it's Yeshua of Nazareth, <laughs> he goes, what? Nazareth is not known for anything. There is no prophecy of anybody to come from Nazareth. There's no prophecy that says the Messiah is supposed to come from Nazareth. And yet, he says, yeah, we found him. He's Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel's response to it, verse 46, is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What, what are you talking about? You know, who in the world, how could the Messiah come from there? By the way, Nazareth was considered at that time 
to be the lowliest, most despicable dirt water city in the entire nation of Israel. You would be embarrassed if you said you were from Nazareth in those days. And here he is announcing the Messiah from that place. And they're like, what? This doesn't make sense. Yeshua saw Nathanael coming to him and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Yeshua answered and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now here was Nathanael. He was sitting under a fig tree and then Philip came up to him. Now we're not quite sure what Nathanael was doing under this fig tree, but it had something to do with something spiritual was going on in his life. We think he may have been praying. He'd been, maybe he was sitting there with the Lord and said, you know, Lord, when is the Messiah going to show up? You know, what, you know, what should we be looking for? Have you ever prayed that? You know, what, Lord, when are you coming? You know, what should we be looking for? Well, Nathaniel probably was doing something like that. He's sitting there, and all of a sudden, Philip comes up and says, hey, we found him spoken of by the Moses and the prophets. So Nathaniel's like, okay, well, that's what I was praying for. Now he comes up and announces, we found him. Okay, come and see. Let's see who it is. And as he comes up, Yeshua immediately introduced him. An Israelite in whom there is no God. That's a pretty complimentary statement, by the way. And he said, well, how do you know me? Well, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, at that point, it's like a lightning bolt hit Nathaniel. Somehow he got the personal confirmation that he was definitely talking to the Messiah. Maybe he was asking, Lord, would you show me who the Messiah is? Would you direct me so I can understand who the Messiah is? When is he coming? So forth. And all of a sudden, boom, there he is. And the Messiah is talking to him. And he suddenly realizes <laughs> it's all coming together. Verse 50, Yeshua answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than these. Now, for Nathaniel, you have an example of something personal that told him this is the Messiah. But that was for him personally. But there's even more things that will tell the people who the Messiah is. And that would be what Yeshua said to him immediately after that, and where he said, and he said to him, Truly I say to you, you will see the heavens open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now this is the first prophecy that Yeshua shares with the disciples that is about him. He says, Nathaniel, you're going to see something. You're going to see the same vision that Jacob saw. Remember Jacob, way back a long time ago when he was making the journey? He was leaving his brother Esau, and he was going up to live with Laban, and we were going to have the different sons of Israel to be born, and he was going to marry the wives and so forth. There he was in Bethel, and he had made that one pillow out of that stone, and he was sleeping, and God came to him in a vision and showed him a ladder, a ladder that was extending down, and he saw angels going up and down on it. When he woke up in the morning, he was so excited about it, he said, surely this is the house of God. This is the place where God comes from heaven and comes down to the earth. And here's Yeshua talking about that same vision, and he says, Truly, you will see the heavens open, the angels ascending and ascending on the Son of Man. 
You know what he just said? He said that ladder that Jacob saw, that's me. I'm the one that is between heaven and earth. I'm the intercessor. All of heaven ascends and descends about me. You know, coming and dealing with it here. If you go back and you look at that prophetic story about our father's Jacob, about Jacob's ladder, you can go back and look at that and say, no, that was a very interesting vision that Jacob had. I wonder what that's about. Why did God show that to him? Well, as it turns out, the reason why I showed him is that's a vision to help Jacob to understand the Messiah. That's some of the information about the Messiah that would come the first time. And by the way, we understand that the Messiah came from heaven, came down to the earth, lowered himself to be a man, accomplished the work of redemption here, and he reascended back up to his father. That he came from heaven, he went back up to heaven. Just like it says, ascended and descended. When Yeshua was having that wonderful conversation, and I shared this with you earlier with Nathaniel, and he said, who is he who ascends and descends? In other words, he said to Nicodemus, there's a prophecy about the Messiah will ascend and descend. It comes from Proverbs 30, verse 4. It's about Jacob's ladder. Here's Yeshua telling the disciples, I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm the intercessor. I'm the one between heaven and you. I'm the one that does work in heaven and here. I'm the one that has descended to you. I've been sent by the Father to come down here to do the work of redemption so that your sins will be forgiven, so you'll receive the gift of eternal life. And I'm the one that's going to ascend back to the right hand of the Father when I get that done. A tremendous amount of information that's given to us. Now what follows from this is they follow him up to Cana. They immediately said, let's go to, you know, where are you going? He said, well, I got, a, I got this wedding ceremony I got to go to. I've been invited to this wedding. And if you recall, in that particular story, Yeshua gets up there and they run out of wine for the wedding. So his mother comes to him and says, hey, they got a problem. They ran out of wine. We don't have enough wine. And Yeshua takes the waters of purification, the basins of the waters of purification. He turns them into wine for the wedding. Now, something interesting happens there because John, in his gospel, then records the following. This was the first sign that Yeshua did in Cana of Galilee. So we're going from statements that are being made about others, we're moving to where he's explaining some of the prophecies to the people, to actually Yeshua is now going to do something that's going to be one of the signs that proves he's the Messiah. Why is turning water into wine a sign that he's the Messiah? Well, to understand that, again, here's the prophecies the Messiah coming the first time. You have to go back to Moses and the prophets. And oh, by the way, when Moses was there at the burning bush, Moses asked a very fascinating question that all of us need to examine because he asked God when God said, I'm going to send you to help bring your brethren out of Egypt. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, all the people. Moses asked a very perceptive question. He said, hey, wait a minute, God. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Why will the people believe me? Why will they believe that you sent me? 
God said to Moses, because I'm going to give you some signs, you will do those signs and then they will believe. Guess what he gave him as signs? He gave him the ability to turn water into blood. He gave him the ability to take his staff and turn it into a serpent and pick it back up as a staff. And he gave him the ability to stick his hand in his cloak, pull it out. It's leprous. It's literally dead flesh. Stick it back in his cloak, and it's instantly healed. He gave him three signs. So when Yeshua comes, what's the first thing he does? He turns water into wine. By the way, to us Hebrews, wine, blood, they all mean the same thing. They mean life. He turned water into wine, and that's just as real as turning water into blood. So he did the first sign of Moses. That's what John's recording. This was the first sign he did at Cana of Galilee. Well, the story goes on with John, and he's going to record for us a little bit further. And he's going to tell us about Yeshua's now traveling and healing and teaching and preaching and so forth. And they're stirring people up, and they're starting to hear about him. Well, he makes another trip back up to Cana again. He's back in Cana again. And there's a man who lives in Capernaum. And his son is very ill. And he hears the word about this Yeshua fellow running around, and he hears he's been healing. People that are sick, he heals them. So he says, that's what I need to do. I need to go get him, and I need him to come help me with my son. I'm desperate. I need my son to be healed. And so he, he makes the trip, because he heard he's in Cana. He makes the trip to Cana, which is more than a day's journey, and he gets there, and he finds Yeshua, and he explains his situation. And Yeshua says something very interesting. He said, unless these people see signs, they will not believe. So he's trying to explain that the method on how you're going to believe the Messiah is you have to track the signs. Look for what the signs are. Look for what the prophecies say. See if I do them. That's how you will believe in me. And so he immediately says to the Father, he said, your son lives. That's it? Well, the man starts to head home. And the next day, his friends, they're making the journey from Capernaum to come get him, and they see each other at a distance. And the friends that came to get the father, they yells out to him, he says, your son lives! Wow. And the father says, at what hour did he become well? And they said, at the seventh hour. And John records for it, oh, that was the hour yesterday that Yeshua said, your son lives. Instantly healed the son. He wasn't even present with him. That's the second son of Moses. Instant healing. And John records, this is the second sign that Yeshua did in Cana of Galilee. Now, before I go to the third sign, let me tell you something, the reason why John recorded emphatically three times the phrase, your son lives. That's another ancient story from the patriarchs about the Messiah. It's the famous story of Joseph. Joseph, the son that was rejected by his brethren, that's where the, the, we teach in, in, in the Torah teachers, we teach that's where the story of redemption begins. 
The story of redemption begins in Genesis 37, verse 12, when it says that Jacob dispatched Joseph to see to the welfare of his brethren and the flock. But as you follow that story, they rejected him. They threw him in a pit. They then, he got sold to Egypt, and he went down as the first slave in Egypt. Okay, that's what happened to Joseph. Well, to cover what had taken place, the brothers decided to take his tunic, his multicolored tunic, and they slew an animal and smeared blood all over it. So they're going to go back and tell Jacob, do you recognize this? They weren't going to tell him, hey, Joseph is dead. They wanted to get him to conclude that so that he wouldn't send out search parties and all that. They wanted to let him, they were going to mislead him. And so they brought the torn cloak tunic back and it had blood all over it. So Judah said to Jacob, do you recognize this? And there, all of a sudden, Jacob lost it. You know, my son has been torn by wild animals. I've lost him. And they almost killed Jacob when they did that. Well, if you remember the story, now Joseph goes down to Egypt and in the course of events rises up out of prison, out of the enslavement that he was in, and he becomes the viceroy of Egypt, number two man in Egypt, in charge of Egypt, because he interpreted a vision about seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. All of a sudden the famine comes to the land, they gotta go back on but they gotta buy grain. So the sons of Jacob are sent down into Egypt to buy grain because they heard there's a man that has grain down there and he'll sell it. And they get down there, and then we have this interesting story in the book of Genesis about they go back and forth a couple of trips, and Benjamin is involved, and things like that. But the end of the story is wonderful things happen. Joseph reveals himself. He's alive, and they're going to be taken care of. Go get your family. Bring them down here. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to preserve you during this famine. And good things are all taking place. But now we got to go back to Jacob, and how do we explain to him what really happened. How do we explain that we came and misled you that he was dead? We led you to think that when in truth of fact, he wasn't dead at all. He got sold into slavery into Egypt. Well, the duty fell upon Judah. He was the one that brought the tunic in. He had become the de facto leader of the brethren. So what is Judah supposed to say to Jacob when he goes back to explain that Joseph is alive? Now, it's not written in the scripture. I will tell you what the tradition is. And it's a tradition that existed in the days of Yeshua. They say that Judah simply came in and said the words, your son lives. That that's, in a nutshell, that's the story of Joseph. Your son lives, the words to Jacob. So here is Yeshua doing this instant healing about a father who has a distraught son. He's fearful he has lost his son, just like Jacob thought he'd lost Joseph. And Yeshua says to the father, your son lives. The very words that Judah, we believe, said to Jacob, that the good news was Joseph was alive. Very powerful picture. In fact, John records that for us in the Gospels. That was very powerful information about who the Messiah was to the first generation. Now, those are all recorded for us, and there are others that follow.
throughout the book of John. And as Christians, we who believe in Yeshua, how many of you in going through the study of John ever got it pointed out to you how put you in the mindset of those disciples in that day and how they were convinced that who the Messiah was. They were very convinced he was Messiah. In fact, they were so convinced they ended up giving their lives up for the gospel ministry. That's how convinced they were. Now, we believe that he's the Messiah, but why do we believe? And what do we base it on? You know what I fear for my Christian brethren? I believe that you think that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah, but I don't think you have any proofs. I don't think you understand what the New Testament said. I don't think you understand the prophecies about him. I don't think you understand how he fulfilled those prophecies. I don't think you understand what was the intent of the testimony that's been shared with us. I don't think you understand it. I don't think it's penetrated your soul. And I think you just read past the words. And you don't know. No, by the way, that's kind of frightening because there's a whole bunch of words that talk about Yeshua coming the second time. And I wonder how many of those words were just reading past and not understanding and not grasping. That's my great fear. As a messianic teacher, I would hope that we would get a better understanding than that. I would hope that we have solid reasons why we believe that Yeshua of Nazareth, him specifically, is the Messiah and that he really did come the first time. And when he says he's going to be coming the second time, we know he's going to be coming and we'll pay attention to the scriptures that describe his second coming because we've understand the God's plan, how he came the first time. That's my point that I'm making to you. Now, let's talk about the third sign that God gave to Moses. And let's see how that ties in, because it kind of caps off this whole discussion I'm sharing with you. The third sign was Moses' staff. He could throw it down and become a serpent, pick it back up. If you remember, one of the first things that Moses did when he confronted Pharaoh was he threw his staff down, and Pharaoh threw down a couple of their staffs, their serpents, and the staff of Moses, the serpent, him, it ate the other snakes. It ate the other snakes of, uh, and came back up. Yeshua made a very interesting statement about that staff, about himself, and he said, when you see the Son of Man lifted up, like Moses' staff was lifted up in the wilderness, then you will see I am. Well, he's going back to the conversation that Moses had at the burning bush when God first gave him the staff and first took, gave him the sign. Because at that point, God announced to Moses, you see, Moses asked him, he said, what's your name? Whom shall I say has sent me to the children of Israel? And God gave a very interesting answer. He said, I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. Wow. That's a very interesting answer. He went on later to actually give his memorial name, the yod heh vav -Heh, four Hebrew letter name. Some pronounce it Yehovah, Yahweh, you know, that way. But his first answer was, you'll say, I am has sent you. And there's been many Bible scholars who've tried to figure out exactly what does that mean. The best answer that I've heard on is he's saying, I'm the eternal one. I'm the one forever. Well, Yeshua 
speaking into the future about his crucifixion to the disciples. He says, when you see the Son of Man lifted up, like Moses' staff in the wilderness, then you will see, and it says, I am. Now, most English versions, they'll say, I am he, but if you check your translation, the word he will be in italics, because that's not actually was in the text, that he only said, I am. You'll see, I am. And of course, translators are trying to figure, what does that mean? So they added the word he, I am he. You know, they're trying to help you to understand it. And they just, all they did was sow more confusion. They need to leave it just as I am, the I am God. Now, there's a great story about that staff that's later on, while the children of Israel are in the wilderness, they run into a bunch of fiery serpents. The people started mumbling and grumbling against Moses and against the manna. They didn't like the manna. They, they got themselves in trouble with God. God sent these fiery serpents in. They're biting the people. People are dying. The people come and they're begging, you know, to be forgiven. So they go to Moses. And so God says, Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to make a bronze serpent like the fiery serpents. I want you to wrap it on your staff. And I want you to hold your staff up. And if they'll look at it, they'll live. Only two verses in that whole prophecy. That's the shortest prophecy of the Messiah given by Moses. Moses' staff lifted up the wilderness. And so Yeshua makes reference to it. He said, when you see the Son of Man lifted up like Moses' staff, look upon me and you'll live. And you will see I am the I am God. Now, that makes a lot of sense. We see the judgment of our sins being judged on the cross. He's lifted up, you know, amen. We have the crucifix thing. We have the picture of the cross. We, you know, all of that ties together and so forth. But a lot of Christians aren't aware of the fact that there was a, a sign that was actually put above the cross. It was written by Pilate. And what it was is it said, this is Yeshua of Nazareth who's claiming to be the king of the Jews. That's the reason why he's being crucified. You know, he's, this is who it is, and this is what he's being tried for. In the Hebrew, it said, Yeshua ha-Netzaret ve-Melech ha-Yeodim. And I just spoke four Hebrew words. First letter of those four words are Yod, He, Vav, He. By the way, that's the name of God that God gave to Moses right after he said, you will tell him I am sent you. That's the name. And we Jews, and this was true in the days of Yeshua, believe in a thing we call the acrostics. Maybe you Christians aren't have ever heard of that before, but in Jewish text, in Hebrew text, we believe that God can send a secret message to us, that he can give us a sign by taking the first letter of each word in a text. And if it spells something out, we can perceive that. That's a sign from God that God's telling us. So when they put that sign up there, all the religious leaders looked, Yod, hey, Vav, hey, the name of God, the, the unspeakable name of God, is right on top of Yeshua lifted up on the cross. And they went to Pilate and said, change that sign. Do anything you want. Change it. Change the wording some way, which way, but change the sign. In fact, the Gospels record, they were very emphatic about this. Pilate refused. What I've written is going to stand. 
So just like what Yeshua had said to the disciples, when you see the Son of Man lifted up like Moses' staff in the wilderness, you'll see I'm the I am God. My name is on that. And those are signs for it. I got to meet an Orthodox Jew several years ago. We were at the same conference and he was a speaker and I was a speaker. We were in the green room together. It was just him and me. And he knew that I was a believer of Yeshua and I knew that he was not. I knew he was an Orthodox Jew. He made a comment about how foolish that he thought Christians were about really understanding the things of God. And instead of me just sitting there silently, I said, oh, if you think that's bad, let me tell you a couple of other things these Christians are goofy about that they don't understand about the Lord. And all of a sudden, I'm like agreeing with him. So he, that kind of opened him up and he, he began to talk a little bit more about his thoughts about the Christian world. And so when I said, oh yeah, and I started giving some examples, he would understand and say, yeah, Christians don't understand this, they don't understand that. Things we Jews understand, they don't understand that at all. And he's, oh wow, you know, exactly. And all of a sudden, now that I'm talking with him and he's talking with me, I finally, I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. And I said, no, I know you're, you don't, you don't believe in Jesus. I know that. I'm not trying to, I said, let me, do you believe in Moses? He said, well, yes. I said, do you believe that God actually sent Moses from the burning bush down to our ancestors to bring us out of Egypt? Do you really believe that? He said, oh yeah, I do. And I said, you know those three signs that God gave to Moses, you know, that would convince our ancestors that he'd been sent by God? Did you believe that too? He said, oh yeah, of course I do. I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, if you believe those three signs done by Moses, you should believe what Moses did. Why don't you believe Yeshua who did the same three signs? Instead of turning water into blood, he turned water into wine. Instead of the leprous instant healing, he healed that kid in Capernaum. And instead of a staff, when he was lifted up on the cross, the name of God was on him. You know, the unspeakable name of God was on him. I said, why don't you believe that? At which point he said, you know, I've never heard it put that way before. I said, yeah, I understand. Christians don't know about those prophecies, about Yeshua of Nazareth. You've not been taught that. My point to you, brethren, is when we look at eschatology about the Messiah coming the second time, quite honestly, the Christian world doesn't understand the prophecies about him coming the first time. If you don't understand the prophecies about him coming the first time, how are you supposed to understand the prophecies about him coming the second time? Now, in our next episode, we're going to start talking about some more of the prophecies about the second coming. And I think you're going to find they're a lot different than maybe something you've ever heard before. Something to look forward to in our next episode. Shabbat Shalom to all of you.
Thank you, everyone, who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.